I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to put a disclaimer at the beginning of this sermon saying my thinking is a little convoluted this morning, so I'm going to try to uh, uh, set the stage by by telling you up front what I think I'm trying to talk about. And uh, my thoughts spring out of that first reading, the Old Testament reading, where the Lord will raise up a prophet like Moses. And um, this is the beginning of the institution of the prophet in ancient Israel. And, uh, and I say institution uh, intentionally because there's a, there was a sense of legitimacy in that nation that God could just take a random person and appoint them to speak uh, on behalf of God to those in charge. And so you have Nathan addressing King David, for example, and everyone in Israel nodding their heads and saying, well, that's completely legitimate. Sometimes God does that, appoints a prophet to tell the king that he's misbehaving. And, um, and this is a remarkable feature of ancient Israel. And I think one of the, uh, one of the indications of the divine inspiration that uh, was developing in that community, that, that uh, divine inspiration that carries on into uh, Israel and Christianity today. So, um, so we have this prophetic tradition that was established. It started with Moses, but then this line in Deuteronomy sort of uh, enshrines the notion that God will from time to time inspire and appoint speakers that speak you know, not on behalf of their own interest or club or group, but on behalf of God. And so the, the Christian church picked up that notion of the prophetic tradition. I mean, Luke Uh, hints broadly that Jesus is a prophet uh, who was raised up for us like Moses, and so we have that prophetic tradition applied obviously to Jesus, who was prophet, priest, and king. Um, But beyond Jesus, into the history of the church, uh, the church, who is the body of Christ, carries that prophetic tradition. And so there's always been a sense, certainly in my lifetime, but... but, um, certainly in my reading of the historical Christian tradition, that it was the job of Christianity and Christian leaders to to step into that tradition of the prophet and say, thus saith the Lord. And um, the, the, the standing in the shoes of God and speaking on behalf of God was uh, something that, again, in, uh, in the Christian world, uh, Christendom, the world of Christendom, was a unique feature of Christendom, that there was a place for the church to be the conscience of the nation. And even in my lifetime, there has been a sense of that. I mean, I I have ties to England, obviously, where they have an institutional and established church, um, where as recently as a few years ago, when uh, Rowan Williams was the Archbishop of Canterbury, an aggressive secularist writer in an English press um, wrote in an article that he was grateful for Rowan Williams because he was the nation's official poet. He wouldn't say prophet because he had rejected that uh, paradigm, but he he did appreciate this role that Rowan Williams was playing in England as a a poet for the nation, a conscience, uh, a voice of conscience, which was somehow um, uh, at arm's length from the usual interests that are vying for power in their parliament and, and economy and so on. And Rowan was, was standing in that prophetic tradition when he did so, and I think, I haven't asked him, but I think that if you did ask him, he would be very conscious of that, as I believe all of us have been. And in my lifetime in the Western Canadian Anglican Church, there's been a, an overt reference to the prophetic tradition when we're discussing issues of uh, social value and conscience 
um, like the, uh, the ordination of women and the, uh, the marriage of gay people and so on. And so there's a, there's a group that would, uh, that would identify advocacy with the prophetic tradition. And, and I say it in a neutral form. I'm not speaking for or against that. I think there's something to it. it, it um, but then the thorny problem, because we've become conflicted over these kind of social issues, even within the church, never mind outside the church, the thorny question arises, well, who is speaking on behalf of God? And that's the problem. That's the rub. Anyone can stand up on a soapbox and say, thus saith the Lord, and the Lord has said to me, and now I say to you, but how do you know that they're legit? Now, in Deuteronomy, the question is whether it was a word that the Lord actually gave them or not. And I say, thanks, but that doesn't answer the question. How do I know that this person who's saying something that I disagree with um, is given that word from the Lord or not? And what evolved in the, uh, in the ancient Hebrew world was the, tr- the test of authority and tradition. And so by the time Jesus came along, you had the scholars who were schooled in the tradition and the things that everybody agreed were the word of the Lord. The things Moses said, the things the great prophets said that had been recorded, and history had, had sort of had determined that a few prophets had filtered up towards the top to be reliable guides as to the Lord's intentions. And so if somebody new came along and said, thus saith the Lord, the test was to compare it to what had been said before. And if it matched what had been said before, then, yep, it's probably from God. But if it didn't match what went before, it was not from God, and that way we can sort out the true prophets from the false. The problem for us as Christians is that Jesus went and did new things, and so we turn to our gospel text, where Jesus casts out a demon, and, it, and, and the response is, what is this, a new teaching with authority? And this picks up a theme in the gospels where Jesus breaks a number of the rules that were established as being given from God. They tended to have to do with ritual purity. Um, so you just do some things and you don't do other things. You respect the Sabbath um, and, and you, you, you understand the tradition and you parrot the tradition. And Jesus didn't do any of that. He just said, here's what God says. And then he heals people on the Sabbath. And, and in many ways, he was violating the established principles of how you determined whether a word of the Lord was from God or not. And so this little gospel piece is an example of that where they say, what is this? A new teaching with authority. Now, he's not quoting any uh, precedent here, um, but what he's doing is he's actually casting out demons. So the results were a form of authority, and I think that's, that's part of the, the theme that we're supposed to pick up from the Gospels, that even if it didn't match what had been written down before, the works speak for themselves. And so where the blind are receiving sight and the lame are walking and the demons are cast, being cast out, how can you say that God is not there? And so we look to the works themselves as the authority for the teaching. And so you have that great story of Jesus where your sins are forgiven. Well, who are you to say your sins are forgiven? Well, would you believe me if I said stand up and walk? And so stand up and walk. The guy stands up and walks. And he says, now will you believe me about your sins being forgiven? And so this is a conversation around legitimacy and authority. And we who are followers of Jesus continue that conversation. And so in my lifetime, the question has been whether God has been teaching us new things. 
And certainly we stand in a tradition where God does teach us new things. The question is whether this new thing is the right new thing. Now, outside of the church, you have that prophetic role with regard to society. I'm, I'm going to leave that unresolved, by the way, so um, don't expect a nice, neat answer for how we go forward in the church when we disagree over what the Lord is saying. Outside the church, um, in the age of Christendom, Archbishop of Canterbury and so forth, um, there was also a sense that the church had a role with regard to wider society, to say, thus saith the Lord. And, um, and I sort of came to awareness as a young person in the newspaper age and the oil age. And uh, I read Manufacturing Consent by Noam Chomsky, and, and I said, oh, that's, that's articulating the prophetic call of the church. We need to be the voice that are not owned by the, the, the capitalists with their capitalist interests, and we need to be the voice of conscience, and that's what the church can do. We can disseminate news that won't hit the mainstream media, and we can uh, have our own point of view, which doesn't necessarily represent the point of view of the editorial pages of the big papers and so on, or the, the, uh, the television networks. Um, and that made sense until the Internet blew everything up. And now what we have is the digital age where, where every point of view is being broadcast 24-7 all the time. And the question of legitimacy of where the voice of the Lord is is more pressing than ever because there's a voice that says everything. If you look hard enough, you'll find someone advocating for every position no matter how ludicrous. And it's particularly poignant today when a large group of Christians have abandoned facts Um, to quote Tolkien, have abandoned reason for madness and who in their own minds claim to be acting in the prophetic tradition to say we have the word of the Lord for our society which is going to hell in a handbasket and so we need to proclaim it louder and more forcefully than ever. And the question is how do you know? And certainly if you are coming from an authoritarian conservative perspective Uh, you can point to the tradition and say, this is the Old Testament test being applied directly. Is it consistent with the old tradition? Yes, it is. Therefore, it is from God. Um, But it it has a harder time meeting the test established in the New Testament of what are the results? What What is the impact on people? Are the blind receiving sight, the lame walking, the demons being cast out? And that's a harder, uh, that's a harder test and that's a harder bar to reach. So that brings me to the the other part of the gospel, which I find helpful in this discussion when when it it gets complicated. And this is where this is why I apologize at the beginning, because sorting through these issues of who has the word of the Lord and how do you know is a genuinely hard problem. If there were a neat answer, I would proclaim it to you, but there isn't and I can't. But what I can point to is what the scriptures tell us. And the scriptures in that gospel reading. Uh, tell us that the demons recognize Jesus. The people aren't sure whether Jesus has the word of the Lord, but the demons recognize it and know it. And so, so really the point of this sermon is for a hint about how to discern where the word of the Lord is in a digital age where there's a point of view for everything, some of, you know, many of which and many conflicting views of which are claimed to be Christian views, look to the demons because the demons know. And so what are the demons? The demons are the vested interests, the greed, the selfishness, the, the, the ego attachment, 
these things that we all instinctively know and recognize to be demonic, these forces that corrupt and destroy the creatures of God, the things that will exploit people and abuse them and, uh, and tyrannize them, the forces and the, the institutions and the people that would participate in those activities always recognize a threat to that activity. And so where those forces are recognizing threats to that activity, that's probably the best indication of where the word of the Lord is. And I'm sure there are more examples of this, um, and more recent examples of this, but the only name I can, the most recent name I can remember is a gal named Berta Cacheres, who was an activist in uh, Central South America um, about the, uh, the, the collusion between big companies and government to exploit the people and destroy the land. And she was uh, a journalist who was just telling the story. Here's what the decisions are. Here's what the laws have been. Here's who made them. And here's what the impact of these laws and decisions have been. And a death squad came to her home and shot her dead in front of her children. Um, and this was, this was not in the 60s. This was maybe five years ago. Um, and the, the broader story about power striking back against journalism um, is a trend line in recent uh, years which has not abated in the coronavirus. So uh, the, the quest for good journalism, for facts, for reason, debate, and argument, and all the forces and money that is going into to suppressing and overwhelming it with garbage, this is a demonic force in our society. And if we really want to look to where the word of the Lord is today, look at where the demons are fighting. And so that, for me, is the guide. So since Berta was important enough to be assassinated, what she was saying was probably the word of the Lord. And the same goes for anyone who finds themselves on the, right, on the wrong side of tyranny and oppression and exploitation. The last point that I take from today's gospel, and, and it's interesting that I found this through line through this, the three scripture readings, is that Paul's discussion of those who eat meat and those who don't eat meat offered to idols and so on, it, it is that there's another uh, tempering quality. There's a, there's a level of of divine truth, and then there's a higher level of divine truth that Paul is asserting. And the first level of divine truth is just to be right. And as Christians standing in the prophetic tradition, Paul teaches us that it's not enough to be right. We also have to keep in mind the impact of the, the words on the activities of the community, and particularly those people who might not understand what we're saying. And so we have to not only speak the truth, we have to speak the truth in a way that is compassionate and with a view to everyone's response to that truth. And so that business of freedom and liberty, which is the truth that Christ comes to set us free, and that's a kind of freedom that, is, is, uh, um, it, it, that, that can actually be misinterpreted, that at some level we have to, be, uh, to moderate our presentation in such a way that we are mindful of those who do not have the wit to understand the nuance of what we might be saying. And so it's not enough to be right. We have to also be kind and mindful of the well-being of the whole community and not just our own faithfulness to what we believe the truth. And I think that's another useful word as we as Christians engage in the question of what is right for our society generally online. So the good news is that God hasn't given up giving us new words. 
The prophetic tradition is alive and well, and God continues to inspire to this day prophets among us, sacred and secular, who are speaking the truth to power. And sometimes they are journalists, sometimes they are clergy, sometimes they are ordinary people who are just overwhelmed with a sense of right and wrong and need to say something. Um, and, and for the rest of us who may not be that person, the test is look to the demons and ask the question of what the end result is for the community. The works will speak for themselves. The demons will be cast out. And where is that direction? And that's our guidance in a very confusing and uh, um, a, 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 an age of Babel in the sense of Babylon. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen.